Living Wisely, Living Well, March 19th. Even when threatened by disaster, if you are steadfastly honest and truthful, you will not only survive, you will flourish. Well, that is a nice challenging one, isn't it? Even when threatened by disaster, be steadfastly honest and truthful. You know, it's a very interesting, uh, it's just put just like that, because it's always a question, at, at what point does the stress or the threat become um, sufficient for one to change one's values in the hope of getting what you want? Now, bear in mind, honest and truthful does not always mean factual, and that's a, that's a, a sort of a slightly odd thing, because truth is always helpful. So I say this only because, well, actually, but I've heard some very odd stories um, in, in the life of Corrie Ten Boom, for example, who was a Dutch woman with her whole family during the Nazi occupation of Holland and worked uh, courageously. They were devoted Christians and they worked courageously to save Jewish people. And eventually the whole family was arrested, almost the whole family was arrested, and uh, several, most of them, several of them died in the camps, in concentration camps. Corey herself survived. But there was one uh, brother and sister-in-law, or sister and brother-in-law, in the family who had such a steadfast attitude toward truth that they, they were not able to lie even to the Nazis when they had uh, people hidden in their house. And they didn't lie. But somehow or another, um, the consequences of those lies were still averted. The, I mean, of, of that, the truths that they told were still averted. And that was a really powerful example of the sincerity of their devotion. But in the Indian tradition, as many stories are told, if somebody comes and asks, you know, if an evil person comes and asks you the whereabouts of an innocent person who is hiding, and you know where they're hiding, it's not truthful to tell them where that person is, because that's a harmful truth. That's merely a fact. Now, of course, that's a, a fine line that we have to work with, but it, it, is, it, it is interesting, and we just have to think about it. So Swamiji talks about the difference between truth and fact. But what he's really talking about is what price, what price for my integrity and what will frighten me enough for me to compromise my integrity. And in that, you see, I'm allowing for there's times when people's intent is so evil that you are not obligated to tell them the facts. Corey Ten Boom herself there was a hidden room that they built in their house called The Hiding Place. Her book was called The Hiding Place, and the movie that was made on her life was called The Hiding Place. And the, the access to the room was actually in her bedroom. The house was very peculiarly shaped, and so there, was, you know, there were places that were not... There were, there were, the, walls were, the, the walls were... The rooms were not square, and the walls were not linear, so they were able to kind of build a compartment, build the wall, and you just couldn't tell it was there. But she herself was a very sound sleeper, and she didn't wake up quickly. And when the Gestapo was, would raid looking for hidden Jews, they would often raid in the middle of the night, knowing that everyone was asleep. Generally speaking, the, the um, hidden visitors might be even asleep in their beds. 
and everybody could be caught. So um, they had a whole system where um, everybody could get into the hiding place in less than a minute. But Corey herself, when she was woken from a deep sleep, would be so confused that when you would ask her a question like, where are the Jews because they practiced, they would wake her up in the night and her young nephew would say, where are the Jews, where are the Jews? And she would say, behind the false wall. You know, she just couldn't keep it straight. So she had to develop in herself the ability to say, what are you talking about? There's no Jews here, which was not technically truthful, but it was the truth. So, now, going back again, but what we're talking about is when you want to lie to try to protect yourself. That you think if the, tr- if the facts are known or the truth is known, then something disastrous is going to happen to you. It was a very interesting, this is not quite the same, but it's not that far away. There was a, an experience that one of the salesmen for Ananda Publications, it's now called Crystal Clarity Publications, but Ananda Publications, which has always been a supporting industry, so to speak, a supporting business for Ananda Village and for Ananda Communities, at, especially at a time when we were really struggling to survive. Swami was writing books. And for a short period of time, we had a very lucrative line of books, which was interestingly, we were the first ones in the, quote, New Age market to make small books of aphorisms. Now it, be, it has become very, very common. But when we started, we were the first ones in our field doing it. And they, they were books of the secret of, the secret of happiness, the secret of peace, the secret of friendship, the secret of meditation. One, it would be a month-long book, 30 aphorisms in these small, charmingly created books. And it became quite the cash cow for Ananda, which was really super. We were just making a lot of money from it. We were breaking into the gift market, out of the book market. It was all really good stuff. And we had a certain number of distributors that we'd been working with for many years that had been friends of ours, had been helping us. And now they too were also profiting from our success. It was very mutually beneficial. This um, salesman for Ananda, one of our members who worked in that business, went to the booksellers convention and we were approached by the equivalent of Costco. It was had a different name at that time, but it was Costco. Costco-like, maybe even the precursor of Costco. They wanted to carry our secrets books. You know, and it would have been just a huge market for us and just putting us on the map in a way that we couldn't even have imagined. But they demanded an exclusive distribution right, which meant that all the people who'd been with us for years, who were now also riding on the coattails of our success, we had to cut them off and not work with them anymore. Now, our salesman was a little caught because, wow, this would be great. Think of all the good we could do for the world if we got these books really out to a lot of people. And, and we would get so many more readers for Ananda and for Swami's books and all these people would get the wisdom and the money would be very helpful for the work we were doing. Nobody was being selfish or anything in all of that. But of course we would have to turn our backs on these people who had become our friends. So our, our salesman went around and he asked several different, you know, more experienced booksellers, publishers, what to do. Every one of them, the first question they asked him, how much money will you earn with the proposed Costco contract? First question, how much money is on the table? 
And when they heard how much money was on the table, they all said, well, of course you should do it. Now, our salesman, however, after about the third conversation like this, realized, how much money does it take before you'll sell out your friends? Because that was actually the question. Because if there wasn't that much money on the table, you keep friendship. But at a certain point, money's more important than friendship. At which point he went back to Costco and said no. He said, as long as we can keep our distributors, we'll do it. But if we have to cut them off, no, we won't do it. And Swamiji and all the rest of us just approved. Because at what price do you sell your integrity? That's really what the question is. Truth, honesty, it's the same question. And, and the opposite of that, what, what jeopardy is so severe that my fear of what I might lose is sufficient for me to compromise my integrity. Now, people are making decisions all the time, and most people, for for them, unfortunately, let me phrase it differently, unfortunately, in the time that we live in, um, integrity is considered to be sort of old-fashioned. Why would you even think like that? You know, everything is about getting ahead and how much can you get, looking out for number one. But human nature is not subject to fads. And human nature is not subject to uh, people's opinions. We are made a certain way. And divine law is not subject to people's opinions. Divine law is the law of karma. We set out a certain kind of magnetism. That magnetism is who, it becomes who we are. This is a universe in which it's all energy. We think it's fixed forms, but in fact it's all energy that have assumed certain forms, but even those forms are are magnetic. And that magnetism is affected by other magnetism. So if our magnetism becomes one of lack of integrity, then we begin to attract those experiences which are the appropriate experiences for someone who doesn't have integrity which is you attract like-minded souls and you find yourself suddenly embroiled with people who can't be relied on. You suddenly find yourself taken in by other dishonest presentations. You know, it's just, this is the way it works. Now, of course, even people with integrity sometimes get swept up into things like that. There's many reasons for it. One of the most challenging one is it's karma from the past that has to be paid that our lack of integrity in some past life set up a karmic debt that now has to be paid, or many other things. I mean, these, the law of karma is a very complicated question. I've addressed it at great length in many other talks. If you're, you can look up my name on YouTube and you can find easily things I've said, it's all worth learning about because... There are many reasons why we behave with integrity, but having a clear idea of the consequences of any course of action, I mean, what gives us the courage, even when threatened by disaster, to stick to our principles is the deep knowledge that nothing good will ever come to us from breaking them. Even though we might imagine it will, even though it's quite clear that disaster is looming, even though, in fact, disaster may descend. Still, nothing 
good will come to us from betraying our own principles. At the very least, we can't live with ourselves. I was very impressed recently when a, 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 a politician in America who was the mayor of, of some city um, made a very, what, he actually contradicted, he had the power to make a, uner, a unilateral executive decision on the basis of a principle that he thought was very important, even though many of the other elected officials did not agree with him. Um, I happen to think he was correct. I, I, I do agree that a higher principle was involved and that it was very courageous of him just simply to use his executive power to execute it. Whether or not you would have thought his decision was right is unimportant. I happen to agree. His reasoning is what I love. They said, why did you do this? How could you do this? He said, because I, I, I'm clean-shaven and every morning I have to look at my face in the mirror, he said, and I wanted to be able to get up every day and be able to do that without being ashamed of myself. And it wasn't because it was popular. It wasn't because he would get reelected. It was because every day he had to look himself in the eye. And he wanted to be able to do that without flinching. I mean, think about it. Because everything else comes and goes, including life itself. There's a, there's a point in everyone's incarnation when everything goes away. It's called death. And many people don't like to think about it. I myself am very inspired by the transitory nature of life. And I love measuring everything by that. And I often, and for me this is not morbid, well, let me phrase it differently. When I was much younger, one of the reasons that I became so dedicated to the spiritual path is because in a a long night of introspection, as I recall it, it was a long, many hours, and as I recall it, it was essentially a long, sleepless night. I was 18. That was a long time ago. I tried to find an alternative to the moment of death, and I couldn't. I wasn't frightened by it. I just wanted to see if there was any way I could avoid it, and if I could in any way change the conditions of the moment of death, meaning nobody could be there with me, Nobody could save me. Nobody could pave the way for me. Nobody could make it easier between me and my conscience that I would simply be alone in my consciousness. Everything else would become, would be, first become irrelevant and then would literally cease to exist. And all I would have was who I am. And I made a resolution which I've never turned away from. There is only one worthwhile, lasting value in life. That is, who I am in my integrity. And, and we have to be that convinced so that when even disaster threatens, it's not even tempting. Because the greater disaster is to betray ourselves and our own high ideals. Swami says, even when threatened by disaster, If you are steadfastly honest and truthful, you will not only survive, you will flourish. God bless you, my friends.